Today's sponsor is EveryPlate. Initially, I thought meal kits had to be expensive, that they were kind of a splurge. But as it turns out, EveryPlate is more affordable than groceries. Their quality ingredients come pre-portioned to help you save money and reduce food waste, you know, like the bag of spinach that I throw out every single week. You can skip the store and let every plate plan, shop, and deliver everything you need to cook a delicious meal at a consistently low price. For me, in the summer, I'd rather be out enjoying the sunshine than cooking. Every plate helps me do just that. Simple, stress-free recipes come together in just six steps and are ready in about 30 minutes or less. You can choose between 17 recipes that change every week and swap proteins and sides to your liking, so you can switch up dinner routines however you want. Every plate helps me experience more of my favorite things in life by saving me time and money, which means more money towards vacations, concerts, the list goes on. You can choose from classic plate, veggie plate, family plate, and easy plate preferences to serve up crowd-pleasing meals night after night. Try every plate for just $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering the code SELFIE179. Again, that's $1.79 per meal at everyplate.com with the code SELFIE179. Today's episode is sponsored by Somavetic. Somavetic is a device that combines an Eastern approach to health and wellness with modern day technology. If you have a lot of devices in your home, as most of us do, then there are hundreds of signals floating through the air at any given moment. This is called EMF, and some people are really sensitive to it and believe that it can cause some not great things in the body as a result of all of these free radicals bouncing around. If you're concerned with the unwanted influences of electromagnetic radiation or geopathic zones, you'll appreciate Somavetic. Somavetic devices rely on frequency therapies and the healing powers of precious and semi-precious stones and metals to create a natural energy field to harmonize your home. It does this through the controlled release of energy from precious and semi-precious stones. It creates a 360-degree field with a radius of 100 feet in all directions. The founder of Somavetic launched these devices in 2011 as a response to his own ongoing health struggles. After years of no success with Western medicine, he turned to traditional Chinese medicine and found a variety of healing properties with stones and minerals. After some time, he was able to heal his body and has helped others as well, and his experience inspired him to create Somavetic. If you're interested in mitigating EMFs and creating a harmonic field in your environment, these devices are a great solution, and they are beautiful. Each device is comprised of their own semi-precious stones with unique properties. Somavetic is a small company, and all products are handmade and hand-assembled in their Crystal Valley, in the Crystal Valley of the Czech Republic. If you want to try Somavetic, they have a 60-day money-back guarantee to let you try. Visit somavetic.com and use the code SELFIE for 10% off. That's S-O-M-A-V-E-D-I-C.com with the code SELFIE for 10% off. Hey, everyone. I'm Kristen Howerton, a writer and a psychotherapist. And I'm Rue Powell, an admitted workaholic and self-care Luddite. And you are listening to Selfie, a weekly podcast about women learning to take better care of themselves. We think self-care is important, but it can simultaneously be elusive. We don't lack information about it, but we don't always quite get there. So this podcast is dedicated to exploring different aspects of self-care, from the silly to the serious. We're looking at health, relationships, beauty, periods, and maybe a touch of the random. We also want to look at the hurdles we face that keep us from caring for ourselves like we should. To submit questions to me or Rue, or to Claire, our beauty expert, or BJ, our resident therapist, join us in our private forum by searching Selfie Podcast Community on Facebook. Hey guys, well, today we are going to be talking with author Grace Sandra. She is talking about her journey as a biracial woman growing up with a white mom and siblings. 
Um, she is talking about the importance of all black spaces and the impact of intergenerational trauma on the black community. Um, she has a really great perspective on race issues. And I think you will find what she has to say very fascinating and very informational. Today's episode is sponsored by the Leadership Conference. Voting has always been important to me because the politicians we vote for affect the policies that are put into place that shape our communities. Politics are personal and they affect everyone, which is why everyone should use their voice. Voting should be free, it should be fair, it should be safe, and it should be accessible to everyone. It's a huge privilege to live in a country where every citizen is able to shape the leadership landscape. Having your voice counted in this year's election is more important than ever. You don't have to wait until November 3rd to cast your ballot. Be an October voter with me. In most states, you can vote early in October. Request your mail-in ballot, return your completed ballot in the mail or in person, or vote early at an early voting location. There's really no time to waste. Let's treat every day like election day to make sure all voices are heard. Make a plan to vote and be an October voter. Visit andstillivote.org to join the fight for voting rights today. Again, that's andstillivote.org. Rue, want to check in? How are you? Good. How is your self-care going? Um, you know, I don't even know how to me- how to how to gauge self-care in the midst of COVID anymore. It's really different, yeah. right? Like it feels like there's so many different speaking of triggers, you know, so many different triggers and so many different aspects that are, that complicate things. Right now, I feel like I am feeling really stressed about my kids and their friendships in the midst of COVID and how all of this is affecting them, which I know we're supposed to be checking in about our own self-care, but you know, it's like there's that old adage, you're only as happy as your saddest child. (laughs) Really? I've never heard that. You haven't? No. I mean, it's super codependent and it shouldn't be true, but it is often true for me, you know? Well, it is is stressful if your kid's going through something, and I think that is a part of self-care, is making sure all of your ducks are in a row or whatever. And, you know, I was talking a couple weeks ago about how, like, it feels like my kids are being punished because – you know, we're having to make difficult choices in terms of school, and they're not able to go to their regular school. Um, But you know, the other thing that's happening is I think that people are growing fatigued of coronavirus. And a lot of people have decided, you know, we're just going to kind of throw caution to the wind. You know, we're not going to quarantine, we're not going to follow social distancing. And this is especially true with teens. Yeah. And, you know, all of my kids, all of them are watching their friends, have slumber parties, have get-togethers, have birthday parties where there's no social distancing. Um, and then another thing that has happened repeatedly is that my kids will be invited to things that people say it's, you know, it's a socially distanced party or it's a socially distanced youth group. And then they show up. And because I've worked really hard to kind of educate my kids on all the science, right? And so they understand, you know, how this thing spreads and what you're Mm -hmm. really supposed to do, they show up to events and find that no one is really social distancing, even though it was advertised as such. And, you know, it's just, it's very stressful. It's stressful on them because they keep getting into situations where people aren't following those rules. So then they're having to like decline a hug or ask friends to step back. Right. or just deciding not to go anymore, or they're seeing things happening on social media that they weren't invited to because 
you know, at this point, it's like, they know that the Howerton kids are just going to be a pain. Yeah, they're the killjoys. Yeah. And so it's just really hard to watch. It's really sad. I feel like it's a major loss in the midst of all this. And I don't know, you know, are these friendships going to get back on track when all this is over? And, you know, my kids have different feelings on it. But some of my kids are angry. They're just feeling angry. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame them. I don't blame them. We've been doing, you know, my eldest is in middle school. She's in, she's in seventh grade and it's been difficult for her. And so I ended up finding, you know, a couple people that are reasonably, that are, that are taking precautions. Yeah. And so we've, they've done a couple hangouts where they're outside, mm-hmm. right? Or they're sitting a re- reasonable amount apart. And if I know that that family is doing a good job of just being careful, then I feel okay with it. Yes. But, um, yeah, it's hard because the majority are – I mean, I, I see what's happening on Facebook or in the community and, you know, group pictures and everyone's got their arms around each other. Right. And it is wild to watch. So it's definitely been difficult on it, – it's been really difficult on my kids too. But I imagine it's harder when – you know, my kids aren't, my kids don't have social media yet. So they don't, it's not in their face as I'm yeah. sure it is for your kids. Yeah. I, I think the older they get, the harder it is. And I don't know. I just really feel for my kids that they're having to go through this in the midst of adolescence when all of this peer stuff is already really fraught. You know, I mean, yeah. Who didn't have a hard time in middle school and high school navigating friendships and social circles? And then you just add this and it's, it's really brutal. Um, it's really brutal. And so I don't know. I'm just feeling heavy about that. Yeah. For my kids. And then, you know, just, I think, frustrated. You know, it's just, it's hard because you don't want to live in frustration. You know, I don't want to, like, marinate in anger or frustration. Um, But there just seems to be kind of a a fresh insult every week. Yeah. You know, where you just feel like, gosh, like, I don't know, like, humanity is not at its best right now. Yeah, no, I'd agree with you there. How about you? Well, speaking of kids, so I have been – there's this book called Joy Spotting by Ingrid Fatelli. Have you read it? No. Well, the concept is that there are certain things that bring joy to your life, and she does – you know, there's the science behind it. And if you want a small version, she has a TED Talk. But the idea is, you know, can you bring some whimsy and joy into your life in, like, some small way? And so this is related to to my kids as well. And I've been trying to do little fun things to surprise them, but not – necessarily surprise them in ways that aren't necessarily material. You know, it's not like, hey, here's a new jacket. So as an example, I will just uh, put uh, googly eyes on the toilet in their bathroom, (laughs) just as like a fun thing for them to see, or their job is to unload the dishwasher. They each have a a morning, or they rotate every morning. And so in the mug um, cabinet, I taped a huge, I printed out and taped a huge uh, emoji to the inside and it's just like the the little guy with glasses and his teeth sticking out and i find that little things like that have been making them have been giving them just like a little like it's just a little bit of joy oh my gosh um, totally like if like i if you paint the inside of a cabinet or you know you wallpaper a closet and it's just a little yes. uplifting thing so whether it's, you know, I've been doing essential oils in their bedroom or uh, I made a bunch of paper chains and we hung them from uh, their ceiling or 
paper cranes, just little things where they kind of, uh, if, if they're just like moving about their day, they see something and it's just a really small bit of delight. And I find that I'm really enjoying it as well, just c- trying to come up with things that, I don't know, just like make you happy, whether it's, you know, a mug with a puppy on it or um, a candle that smells really good or, you know, a sticker in an uh in a spot that you wouldn't expect it to be. So that's that's been my little sneaky mission this week. Um, and the thing that I like about it is it's so simple and you can see them kind of go, oh my gosh, that's so funny. Like our toilet has a face. Right. Um, so that, so that, I don't know, it's, it's cute and it's small, but um, they're enjoying it. So I'm enjoying it, you know? Yeah, totally. I love that. I love that. I feel like we have been actually kind of doing the same thing. Like, and my kids are driving it too. It's like, you know, Halloween, like we don't normally decorate a lot for Halloween, but we've Mm -hmm. gone way overboard this year just because we want something special, you know? Right. Like I think whatever joy that you can add in whatever form you can right now goes a long way. You know, there is this uh, like trend too of people putting like knitted things around inanimate objects, like the library bike rack has knitted things. And I thought about just, you know, messing with my kids and getting those that crepe paper streamers and just wrapping a tree in the front yard just to see what they say. Um, But yeah, those little things and same, like we don't go nuts for Halloween, but I'm thinking about building a little uh, candy shoot or a catapult so kids can trick or treat, but be socially distanced so they can come to our house and like we set off a catapult and it catapults <gasps> candy at them. Um, so we're trying to come up with like a fun way to do that, whether it's totally. like a, a marshmallow cannon, but it's um, shooting out Snickers bars. I don't know. Well, oh I'm, I'm going to figure so it out. So fun. That's a great idea. Just because things are, I don't know, things are kind of dreary and we're going into yeah. cold months and yes. anything we can do that just brings a little happiness to the day, I am all for. I mean, I will tell you right now, I know I'm going to just go overboard this Christmas. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> just going to throw money at Christmas, you know, just because I feel like it's been a hard year and whatever we can do. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because. I like to buy um, experiences for Christmas. Yeah, you know, like less. And right now, you you can't do experiences. I know. So yeah, no, I I get it. I also feel like sometimes I'm uh, just like buying entertainment as well. I know. We talked a lot about skincare on the show, and specifically tretinoin. If you're not familiar, it's a retinoid, which is an active vitamin A derivative that's used to improve the texture, tone, and appearance of the skin. Today's sponsor, Dear Brightly, has a product called Night Shift, and tretinoin is the active ingredient in Night Shift. This is the only FDA-approved retinoid for treating photoaging, which is premature skin aging due to long-term sun exposure. Tretinoin stimulates collagen production to prevent and treat signs of premature skin aging from years of sun damage, things like fine lines and wrinkles, dark spots, uneven skin tone, and big pores. Tretinoin can only be acquired through a prescription, but it's 20 times more potent than the -the over-the-counter retinol products. It's one of the most well-researched ingredients with over 50 years of research behind it for both acne and photoaging. I had a chance to try Night Shift, and I'm really liking it. I have the unfortunate experience of having both breakouts and wrinkles at the same time, and it's great for both. I have seen my fine lines 
decreasing. I've seen my skin tone looking better and it feels really nice. If you've used an over-the-counter retinol before, you know it's really great, but a dermatology grade retinoid is even better. Night Shift is their dermatologist formulated serum that's tailored to your skin by doctors online. Dear Brightly works by you first of all starting by sharing your skin story with them, then a doctor evaluates your skin and your skin history. They then tailor your formula and write a prescription if applicable, and your tailored serum will be delivered to you in the mail. It's super simple and easy. Head to www.dearbrightly.com and enter the promo code SELFIE to get 15% off your first order, which is their very best offer. Offer anywhere. That's S-E-L-F-I-E to get 15% off your first order at dearbrightly.com. So when I was a teen learning to shave my legs, my mom did not do me any favors by buying me really cheap disposable razors. If you grew up in as a teen in the 90s, you know the ones and they left nicks and cuts all over me when I was trying to shave. So with two girls learning how to shave their legs right now, I am committed to making sure that they have good quality razors. Guys, I was probably well into my 30s before I realized the difference a quality razor makes. Today's sponsor is Athena Club. They have great razor kits that we have been using in our house for a couple months. The razor blades are awesome. They are surrounded by this water-activated serum that has shea butter and hyaluronic acid, so you get a silky smooth shave that actually leaves your skin soft and hydrated as opposed to stripped dry. And their blades are spaced out to let hair and shave cream pass through easily so you don't have to make a ton of passes going over and over the skin to remove the hair. Fewer passes means less irritation to your skin, which cuts down on razor burn and ingrown hairs. The razor kit is only $9 with free shipping and it comes with two blades cartridges, a cute little magnetic hook for your shower storage, and your choice of a handle color. I personally chose the coral, but what I really like about it is they have a ton of different colors, black, white, pastel, neon. So if you have a big family like mine, everyone can have the razor in their own color so you don't get them confused. What I also love about Athena Club, you guys know I love automating things. You never have to worry about dull blades because they send refills on your schedule. You just choose how often you want them and they will send them automatically with free shipping. I would also highly recommend their cloud shave foam too. It's insanely thick and stays on while you shave so you don't have to reapply. It leaves your skin feeling very moisturized. It's really, really good. If you want to try a great quality razor that cuts down on the wastefulness of disposable razors, try Athena Club Razor Kit. You can get 20% off your first order at athenaclub.com with the promo code SELFIE. That's A-T-H-E-N-A-C-L-U-B.com with the promo code SELFIE for 20% off. Well, let's take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, Orgain. And um, you had you had actually talked about this in the Facebook group as soon as you got it because you were pretty stoked. Yes, well, it, it, especially the people in my house. So in our house, we have a variety of dietary needs. I lift weights. I try to lift heavy weights. So I need to make sure that my protein is at a certain level every day. And my partner eats mostly a plant-based diet. And then the girls uh, have a variety of allergies, including a milk allergy. So finding something that fits the bill for all of us is difficult. Um, we're also really active. You know, we're uh, my partner runs every day. My kids are active. And we're generally looking for something that can fuel us all healthfully. So Orgain has been really great for us in supplementing our specific needs. Yeah. 
Um, I have been on the hunt for a protein powder that my kids will tolerate, and they really like this one. So Orgain has all kinds of organic products. They have nutrition shakes, protein powders, meal powders, bars. They even have almond milk, which I love. Their products are food-based and full of organic vitamins and minerals. Yeah, we actually use the we use the Orgain uh, protein powder to make smoothies. So yes. my ten year old who has the milk allergy, she is the smoothie maker in our house, and she'll just toss a bunch of frozen berries in it, and she'll put some almond milk with it, and just you know scoops of the uh, the powder. And for them, it's a nice way to have something that feels indulgent but isn't questionable nutritionally. Well, one of the things I've been doing is I have been making iced coffees in the morning and putting a little bit of this in there, um, which and then blending it, which makes it feel like a frappuccino because it's got a little vanilla in mm. there. Um, Organ's great because they don't use artificial ingredients, preservatives, no GMOs. They're all about good, clean nutrition. Plus, and I feel like I'm always talking about the beauty of never leaving my house, but they do ship right to your door. You can set up recurring deliveries to get your favorites delivered for free. Yes, everyone in my family is super into this, whether it's the protein powders or the already ready in the bottle shakes that we'll just keep in the fridge. So right now you can save 20% off your first order. Plus, if you subscribe, you can save even more. So go to tryorgain.com slash selfie, T-R-Y-O-R-G-A-I-N.com slash selfie for 20% off your first order plus extra savings when you subscribe. Today's show is brought to you by Ebby, a seamless underwear membership. Ebby is underwear with purpose. They are seamless and smooth with the perfect amount of stretch and softness. Is it possible to be obsessed with your underwear? You just might be because these are your new favorites. They have a superpower for fighting visible panty lines slipping or riding up. That's right, no panty lines ever because they have a great no-slip grip that keeps everything in place. They also have a cotton lining to keep your lady parts healthy. They have fits and styles in sizes extra small to 4X to fit every woman. But the best part about joining Ebby is that it keeps your underwear drawer fresh and helps fund cyclical microfinance loans for women around the world. 10% of every Ebby purchase funds business loans for women, empowering women out of poverty and into business. Membership also gives you access to exclusive member-only offers, free shipping, limited edition prints, and weekly power tips on confidence and productivity. You can get 20% off your first order at joinebby.com with the code SELFIE20. That's joinebby.com com with the code selfie 20. What are your two thumbs up for the week? Um, okay. Well, one, um, one is actually a gift super random, but I just got for my town mayor who I adore. Um, and she has just been, you know, it's funny. Like I, admit I did not pay a ton of attention to local politics prior to the pandemic and, you know, all of this stuff. And she has just done an incredible job of keeping our town really COVID safe. Um, So anyway, I bought her a water bottle, like a reusable water bottle that had a map of our town on it. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. And it was, and I came and it was really cute. So, anyway, this company is called Well Told. Um, They do, um, I've also used them to buy my boyfriend, like when he moved um, to Costa Mesa, which is the town I live in, I bought him these like little tumblers, like um, whiskey tumblers. 
that where they etched a map of the town on it. Oh, so it's just yes. it's a really cute gift idea for like that person that's hard to buy for, especially if someone has a connection to a specific city and they're cute. Like they look really cool, you know, with Yeah, like, no, I'm I'm looking at these. These are really neat. Yeah, they're really neat. So anyway, it's just a cute little gift idea for anyone looking for a gift idea. Um, and then, okay, we remember we were talking last week, I think, um, about how we don't like taking a lot of pills if the pills are big. Right. <laughs> and I've also mentioned that I got on the gummy train for my yes. for my supplements for a while. But then I realized like, and I still take them from time to time, but I was eating like Seriously, like a bag of Skittles worth of gummy vitamins every day to get them all in. Right. And I'm like, this is a lot of sugar. Yes. <laughs> so I found another product um, that I have been using. It's called 23 Vitals. And it's a powder, but it has everything in it. And it's it's funny because the whole story of how it was created was a guy who was like, I'm tired of taking all these different things, right? Right. Um, so it's got everything. I mean, it's got all the vitals. It's got you know, immune boost, all that kind of stuff. And then you can just take it as a powder. So you're not because I do I get overwhelmed when I have to take a lot of pills, and then I end up not taking them at all. Or I get that thing where like, I'm trying to drink it down, and I'm only drinking the water and like the pill is stuck and you kind of have that moment of panic. Oh, totally. Totally. But so, but it's it's a powder. So, do you mix it into a beverage, or you can, or you can just mix it into water. But I usually mix it. I've been on a smoothie train too, so I usually mix it into a smoothie. Nice. But it's like you know, it's it's not like a protein powder where you mix it in and you really taste it. Um, it's it's really easy to take. How about you? Okay, so uh, do you remember the week that we talked about being me being shamed by um, my Your cleaning service? Yeah, <laughs> offering to organize my home because she yes. felt so badly for me. Uh, sweet woman. Um, I have been on this, what can I buy to make my house more organized so I don't die of shame every time I see um, this woman from now uh-huh. on? And so I have this thing where, you know, I have my drawers and I have my closet. But the one thing that I haven't been able to figure out is what to do with in-between clothes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've worn the sweater and it's not dirty or I've worn these jeans or these pants and they're not dirty. Yep. So I guess they could go back in the drawer or they could go back in the closet, but something feels weird about that. Because you're going to wear it probably tomorrow. Right. And... Right. So I ended up getting one of those, I was going to get one of those like clothes valet things where you can like fit one outfit on it. But realistically, I usually have, I'm rotating a couple pairs of pants or a sweatshirt or whatever. So I got a garment rack and it kind of just looks like almost like a hotel. It's like a, a movable closet, right? And so I have this in my bedroom and instead of, frankly, tossing my pile of clothes on the floor just to wear it again the next day because I'm disgusting, um, I will toss, like, I'll fold the pants and stick them on this thing or I'll hang up a shirt or a sweatshirt or whatever. And it's nice because it's there and it looks tidy. And my pants are ready to go for the next day. And I'm not doing that thing where your pants live on the floor for so long that you're not sure whether or not they need to get washed. (laughs) Totally. 
So I feel really good about that. And I am very much not a pants washer unless they should be washed. So I think it was Madewell jeans that said it should go 10 wears between washes. And I felt so validated. (laughs) I felt so validated because I'm like, oh, should I be washing them every five wears? Like if Madewell is telling me 10 wears, then that's going to be my – that's what I'm going to do from now on. Then Madewell has to be right. Yeah. And unless I like fall in the dirt or have some sort of period accident, you know. It's not like I'm it, – it's not like – okay, I don't do this with workout pants. Workout pants, workout shorts, workout pants no, go in the yeah, wash right away. No, different story. Yeah, but like general, you know, Jeans. walking around the house pants. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so um, I got that and I feel really good about that. Yeah, the second that's awesome. thing, The second thing to make my life easier is I have said goodbye to every single duvet cover. Okay. Um, Because you know how we're sold this lie that duvets make everything easier? Because you just take off the duvet and you wash the duvet and then you put the comforter back in. I hate it. It's the worst. I do too. I I, I think it's a pain in the ass. I agree. So I got rid of every single duvet, every single one, and I got my kids like a pretty uh comforter just yeah. a comforter yes and they all just have a comforter now and yes. then i got a comforter for my bed and you know what i do i just stick it in the washer and then i stick it in the dryer and then it's done and i don't have to wor- worry totally. about wrestling totally. with the duvet or you know when like the when like the the blanket slips and all of a sudden you're just you only mm-hmm. have the duvet and mm-hmm. no comforter mm-hmm. anyway i have decided that duvets are a sham pun yeah. and uh i'm never gonna use them again I hear you. I hear you. I've actually, um, same in my room, I have a comforter. It's just a comforter. And it's pretty, you know, I mean, I bought it, I I think it's actually technically a quilt, but it feels like a comforter. Right. Yeah. And then I just wash the whole thing. Instead yes. of and fighting I, I just, with the duvet cover. Right. I just chuck it in the washer, chuck it in the dryer, and and call it a day. And yeah. I, just, I sleep with sheets, too. So it's not like I'm just sweating on them and they ha- it has right. to get washed every week. Right. Um. So I feel really good. I feel like this has been – I feel like I found my truth when it comes to bedding. <laughs> and I'm just – I'm really – I uh, encourage listeners to think, hey, you've been sold a lie. Yeah. Pottery Barn has sold you a lie. So has West Elm. And you can say goodbye to the duvet cover. I agree. Well, we have a new sponsor to talk about today. And it's one that I'm actually really excited about because I – love their art. It is Wild Gallery, W-Y-L-D. Wild Gallery is an art gallery in Austin, Texas that features Native American art. They have commissioned a number of Native American artists, and it is really gorgeous artwork. They have a ton of original Native American imagery that explores the heritage, culture, and tradition of Native Americans. Their gallery artwork is bold, it is modern, and it is very edgy. And if you have been looking for unique art, for your home, I cannot recommend this enough. Also, if you have been looking for a way to support Native American indigenous individuals, this is a great way to support Native American artisans. They would also be fantastic Christmas gifts. Their pieces are unique, and I always think art is a great Christmas gift. So if you would like to check out the art at Wild Gallery, you can find them online at wyld.gallery. That's wyld.gallery. Well, hello, Grace. Hi, Kristen. Happy to chat with you today. You too. I was trying to think, you know, whenever I have people on, I like to talk about like how we know each other. And I was trying to think, we met a long time ago. 
We did. We've we known did. each other for, I mean, I want to say 10 years. It might be. Yeah. I mean, right. I'm, I don't think we met in person until like 2014. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, when we started Deeper Story or yes. when I started a Deeper Story, yes. that's the first time I got connected with you, which was yeah. forever ago. I know. We were both writers <laughs> at Deeper Story. Although yeah. I feel like I knew of you even before that. Just yeah, yeah. I did too. Circles. Yeah. Yeah. So I, by the time I got on Deeper Story, I was like, oh my God, Kristen is here. <laughs> oh, well, I'm sure that I felt the same way. <laughs> because honestly, because I knew of you first from Blogger before Deeper Story. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we yeah, had yeah, tons yeah. of mutual friends even before we met. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for being willing to come on here and talk to me and of kind of share your perspective. So you know, you um, you have always been someone who's who's been very vocal about race. Um, I <laughs> yeah, which I appreciate. I mean, I'm sure that's yeah. one of the things that that drew me to you and your writing. Um, Talk to me a little bit about your journey with that, because you, you know, I feel like you have really had a journey, even in, in your own personal yeah. self. Yeah, I, I feel like I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm at this point now where I feel like I'm ready to not talk about it as much. Yeah. <laughs> not that we're not going to talk about it today, but just as much that as makes I have sense, thought though. of. Yeah. Yeah, because, okay, so here's my story. I have a white mother and a black father, but I was raised with a white mother and white siblings Mm -hmm. who were not, I'm sure, doing the things that you're doing with your blended family of of racially diverse children. We were not talking about it and it was not being handled and it was being Mm -hmm. handled poorly. Mm -hmm. So race came up very early for me as a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And I started feeling angry about issues about white people when I was like six or seven. I had a white brother who was calling me the N-word in the home. And I just... um, and it was very obvious to me, too. I was living in a black neighborhood, and my mother and her children that weren't me <laughs> yeah. were the only white people. And so I also saw kind of the fear that my siblings had of people in the neighborhood, and then mm-hmm. I had the fear of my brother. So anyway, so it's just been on my mind for so many years. I literally thought about that like two weeks ago. Yeah. Because um, people have asked me, like, why don't you work on a race-related book? Like, why don't you actually do something like that? And I just was like, honestly, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. I've just been thinking about this for like decades. Yeah. I'm just tired. I didn't start thinking about this when I was in college or when I started writing. Yeah. It was like on my mind in like sixth grade. Yeah. I, I, I have joked with my friends <laughs> that I was the original Colin Kaepernick because <laughs> when I was in sixth grade, I was being sent to a white school, a white Christian school, yeah. and I refused to pledge allegiance to the flag yeah. because I was like, I hate America and y'all ain't nothing but liars and that. <laughs> And I was just like this little black girl in my class with an attitude problem. I used to get in trouble for not pledging allegiance. So I am the original Colin. But anyway, so just stuff like that. Like I was always in race wars mm-hmm. since junior high, literally. And um, I think po- probably by the time I was in college when I was like, I really have to deal with this. Because by the time I was in college, I was like, I think I legit hate white people. And it was just affecting like the white people who I actually loved. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, yeah. could, I could see how you would feel that way because yeah. you didn't have that mirror growing yeah. up that the person oh, the yeah the healthy mirror of someone who was your own race and then you also weren't yeah. it sounds like you weren't having adults that you could talk to about this anger nobody and there was no google there was no internet there was no right. camaraderie. so you there were just wasn't by yourself. like the, yeah, it wasn't like the, hey, Grace, be proud of your heritage. Right. You know, that that just wasn't happening. It was just like the black kids in my neighborhood, like, yeah, we hate white people because da 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 Right. 
and while I while I think there's a healthy space for that for mm-hmm. for black kids to be able to say what they're angry about, yeah, I do think there needs to be a balance, and I just did not have that balance at <laughs> right. all. Right. Nor yeah. the constructive, like I would have loved to have had the access that our kids have to go on the right. internet and read blogs that are thought through, like yeah. think pieces. <laughs> yeah. Here's what to do with your rage, you know, or here's how to think about this, or here's how to empower yourself, or any of that. So, yeah, I think that I think that wore on me. I'm sure that it did. I mean, I can't even imagine. I know, you know, I'm raising two black kids in a white family and, um, you know, I'm doing the best I can, but it's still even for them can feel isolating, you know, even as much as I'm pushing them into all black spaces or making sure that they have access to their community. Um, but it's, it's interesting though, because it sounds like you had access to your community, but it was just sort of peer to peer. Yeah. Yeah, there I did not have access to mm-hmm. my older black family members. Yeah. And honestly, even if I did, I don't know if they had, I don't know where they were with this yeah. either. Yeah. These issues. Yeah. So I don't know that anyone would have been like, oh, let's sit down and actually talk about race. Right. Right. <laughs> you know? <clears throat> so then so. as you walked forward to like college <clears throat> and into adulthood, I mean, how did you, what did you need to do to come to a real healthy first self-identity as a black person but then you know as a a person who's also biracial yeah yeah okay so what happened was i got involved with intervarsity which is like a campus Mm -hmm. ministry Mm -hmm. and what was really helpful intervarsity was very helpful for me i know intervarsity wasn't helpful for a lot of people it was really good for me though because i got involved with the black chapter and that's where i got that mirroring Mm-hmm. So I had a black staff worker at a majority black mm-hmm. chapter at a majority black school. I went to Wayne State University in Detroit, which is majority black and Arab. And um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> it was the first time I got to see like, oh, this is what it's like to be in dominant in the dominant culture. Yeah. In a dominant campus ministry. Yeah. I thought university was black until I actually realized like, oh, this is a national movement. It's white. <laughs> and you have this very small pocket because you literally grew up in Detroit, which is 98% black. Uh-huh. But anyway, um, that's where I got like the the space to say, hey, I'm biracial, I have white heritage, I have black heritage. Mm -hmm. It's safe to explore all of it. It's safe to kind of bring all of who you are to God. Like that was kind of what I was learning. And it really Mm -hmm. was good for me. I was being introduced to really great authors. And Mm -hmm. that's when I really thought like, I could do that. I would like to write something. Um, Because I started thinking like, people are writing about this stuff. Like, that's so cool. (laughs) Like, even before that, I didn't even know people were writing about it. So, um, so, yeah, that's kind of how the journey went. And then I, like, lived legit fell in love with a white dude. And I think that really <laughs> did something good for me, too, because he just happened to be, like, a really good white woke dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who is my, my boy's father. So uh-huh. I, have, I have white presenting sons mm-hmm. um, who, um, although I always say that, but sometimes one of my sons, people do think that he's black. So I, I shouldn't always say that. But the other son, definitely everybody always thinks he's white. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of their dad, like, we have a really healthy relationship to race that we're able to talk to because he's, he's really, really still really good at these issues. I'll just mm-hmm. say it like that. Um, and I always think it's really interesting, our scenario, because you have white presenting. Well, not white presenting. They are white. Yeah. <laughs> white daughters and yeah. black sons. Yeah. And I have a black daughter and white, yes. white yes. presenting sons. Um, but it is just an interesting thing, the sibling thing. My daughter is a lot younger than yours. but. Uh-huh. She she knows that her skin is brown and her brother's is white. So oh, yeah. you know, she's, she just turned four. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would love to talk to you as they age. Like, okay, how do you do this, Kristen? <laughs> how do you do this? Well, I thought you were going to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a weird thing. And well, I 
yeah and just being biracial it's it's just like we're all just one big racially ambiguous family but it's okay it's working i know and we're all just confusing everyone at the grocery store (laughs) seriously yeah i've had i I have had one of those instances where somebody asked me are these children yours one before my daughter and i was just like yes you don't think they look like me like we're all like a weird shade of yellow like don't think we all look like each other do you really think I'm the babysitter? Oh, that's right. so sad. That's <laughs> so frustrating. Sad. That's frustrating. Yeah, and is it your business? If I had been who I am now, that's what I would have said. But yeah. I was trying to be like super good Christian. Like, well, let me, you know, let me help you understand. And now I'd be like, it's not your business. Isn't that so funny? Because I feel that way too. I mean, you know, 15 years in of parenting when Jafta was a mm-hmm. baby. I mean, I would just like answer questions like you know because I got that all the time like yeah, is he sure. yours where is he where did from? you get him where did you get him and I would just <sighs> give these very nice answers and I feel like now but of course I mean that's always the benefit of time and and growing older yeah now yeah. I would be like it's really none of your business <laughs> and I don't owe it to you I don't even yeah. owe being nice to you and I'm shopping. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm, yeah. sh- I'm trying to check out. Yeah. Yeah. I've really, really changed on that. And I realize yeah. it really doesn't have anything to do with Christian love. It doesn't. No. No. <laughs> no it just it doesn't. And usually people are just being jerks. They are. They're just being nosy. Yeah. And I also always felt protective of my kids, like, because it's othering for them to be hearing yeah. strangers asking about their identity. <clears throat> like, yeah. You know, they're not doing that when I'm just with yeah. my girls. Nobody asks me yeah. my children's yeah. origin story. Yeah, that's true. Literally just the other day. What's today? Thursday on Tuesday. On Tuesday night when my kids and I were all at the pool. And this black woman came up to my my older son, Ransom, who's the one who kind of looks a little bit, tiny bit biracial. Because mm-hmm. he just has really curly, thick hair like mine. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, she was like, is that your mama? <laughs> like yes and then she was like is that your mama to the other one and he was like yes but it was just kind of like they were confused about it yeah and she was just trying to say oh you look like your mom but you don't I got the subtext yes. but I and I didn't say anything because they're old enough now they're 11 and 14 so I thought I kind of want to see how they handle it yes so they just said yes they were nice about it but it like still little stuff like that happens oh yeah she smiled and then she was like oh y'all look just like her but I think she was just recovering at that point yeah she got what she wanted, which was information. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Okay, so going back to what you were saying about InterVarsity and that experience of being in an all-black space, finally, and being yeah. in a majority space for yourself, finally. <clears throat> I know, you know, I have predominantly white audience. <clears throat> and I know, I, I mean, I'm just going to name some of the sure questions that white people sometimes have. Okay? Sure. Why do we need all black spaces? Oh my gosh. I think it for me it was literally the first time I ever knew that there was a variety of people. <sighs> okay, how do I say this? I it was the first time I ever recognized that black people are not a monolith. We're yeah. not just what I saw on TV. Right. Which was legitimately like the things I saw on TV that was the only example of black family, black people. Mm-hmm. And I'm including things like cops. Yeah. Those horrible, horrible exploitative shows. Mm-hmm. That was all I knew. So the 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 um the kind of internalized racism that was happening in me, living in urban Detroit, mm-hmm. um, I was believing like that like black men are more dangerous. Mm-hmm. 
it wasn't literally till I got around a number of black mm-hmm. people in both the university and university where I was like, black people are really different. Yeah. <laughs> I need to see this. I need yeah. to see we're as different as white people are. It's just yeah. such a weird statement to make, but I didn't get that until yeah. college. So I needed that space. I needed, honestly, I needed to see at that point in my faith, I needed to see what black Christianity really looked like, that it also wasn't just, it didn't have to look like what I saw on TV, like hooping and hollering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, or prosperity or gospel. Prosperity. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I also really needed to feel the safety because I had, my mm-hmm. mom had sent me to Christian white public, or I'm sorry, white Christ, uh, private school, sorry. And I feel like I needed the safety of black spaces where I was just accepted without like, oh, can I touch your hair? And yeah. I just, I, it, when I was in those, the, the, the um, private school, I just got a lot of like, oh, we like you and we'll accept you because you're cute and funny, but you're still different. I just yeah. got a lot of that. Like over the years, I knew there's limits, sorry, there's limits to this. Mm-hmm. So like I have mm-hmm. these white people who I trust, but mm-hmm. I'm still getting, I'm still hitting a wall. Yes. And it was like one of the first spaces that I ever thought like, I'm really loved here and wanted here for who I am. I don't have to really think about how I look or what my hair is doing. Yeah. No, it was just my first time really, really letting my hair down, I guess. Um, yeah. Of just being myself and being like, oh, like black people like me. Yeah. <laughs> Although I got that in my neighborhood, but it was a little different. It's different when you're grown, when you're grown up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah. you know, white people are some white people are really defensive about like, well, you know, why do we, you know, why does there need to be a black student union or why does there need to be, you know, oh my gosh, it's wh- so important. why should there be a club that doesn't allow me in? Isn't that racist? And it's like, I think of so many of the affinity groups I've been in, in my life, like, like maybe adoptive parents. Right. And there's yeah. just, when you get yeah. around other adoptive parents, you can say things that you can't yes. say in gen pop because you know, they get it. You know, yeah. that they are going to understand yeah. when you complain about attachment issues or whatever it is that they're not going to push back. They're not going to judge you. Yeah. And yeah. I just feel like that has to be so true in all black spaces to be able to know that the people you're talking to, when you describe a ra- like a racialized experience, yeah. Or a racist yeah. experience that nobody's going to go, maybe you're just being sensitive or yeah, gaslit. Right. Yeah. That you're and not going to have to push push back on someone's denial systems, that everyone right. is just going to be on the same page. Yeah. I think that what really helped me understand this. So I went on to work for university for like mm-hmm. 12 years. So I volunteered for four years and worked for 12 years. And what I did primarily was start black student groups. So I got a lot of pushback yeah. over the years from white students. And the way that I tried to explain it to them, because the pushback I got from white students or their parents, honestly, it seems like white people, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like white people don't grow up with a sense of like who they are as white. They're your, your, your gender first and then your race, maybe second, One fourth, thousand. Or 10, 1,000%, I agree with that. So it seemed like when students would be pushing back, they weren't understanding how much the black students were feeling like, when I come here, I'm black Mm -hmm. first, then I'm woman, then I'm male, then I'm non-binary or whatever they are. And then they're like experiencing the university and all of the, Mm -hmm. I mean, because going away to college is a big deal, you know? And so I felt like those spaces were needed maybe even more. (laughs) Well, then some of the spaces once you're grown up and out of college, you know. Oh my gosh, yeah. Cuz you're I on your own. I completely agree. I completely yeah. agree. I desperately hope my boys get if yes. I mean, if not going to, you know, an HBCU, I hope that they will be involved in some black Something. groups, all black yeah. groups. Like I really want that for yeah. them. Um I do too. <laughs> 
I want that for them too. I know. Yeah. (laughs) Something you said though about white people not understanding their culture or their ethnicity or any of it, I think, or their Mm -hmm. race, like all of that is true. But what's really scary about that is we do have a race, a culture, and ethnicity. Like white is yeah. all of those things. Yeah. And when the the problem is when we don't accept all of those things as being unique to whiteness, yeah. what we do is we say, I'm just normal. Yeah. I, I'm just default. Mm-hmm. I'm just a human being. But we, we're bringing this whole suitcase of cultural bias and experience yeah. and then projecting it as the human experience, which is yes. so problematic. Yeah. And then not understanding that no other black people aren't seeing it that way at yeah. all. So it's like coming yeah. from like, like that. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, I, I totally think that's why that's not understood. And I get it. I One of the ways that I helped some friends of mine get this was I went on like a mission. I did a mission. <laughs> I regret this, but I did a mission trip to Africa when I was in college. Do you think I didn't do that three <laughs> I times? That you did. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that and you then did. to Haiti and then to Peru. Do you think I have? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I knew about the Haiti one. Yeah. So we, but when we were there, we, I was the only black American person in mm-hmm. this trip to Africa, but I understood for the first time, I am black American. I'm not yes. even like, this is yeah. very different than Africans. Yes. So, um, but I felt like, but my, my, the peers I was with, they were like, we just need, we need to sit down and have space where we can just talk amongst ourselves. Mm-hmm. And like, they get it. They got it then. Like, yeah. oh, I'm in Africa now. Like I'm yeah. the only white people in, you know, in a 400 mile radius and uh-huh. I need space. I remember them being like, we have to sit in our tent and talk because I don't feel safe out here and blah, blah, blah. And I was just yeah. like, oh, now y'all understand. We got to take y'all all the way to Africa <laughs> to understand <laughs> what a safe space is. <laughs> so, oh man, I, I use that example oh. for days because they were, they got over there and were just like freaking out about needing to feel safe. I heard that sentence like 10 times oh. and I was just like. Okay, don't let me hear you say nothing (laughs) when we get home (laughs) about black people needing safe spaces and feeling understood, even just needing to hear your own language. Yeah, yeah, which is a thing. Freely, yeah, it's it's definitely a thing. I mean, I I remember traveling um, when I was newly married, my husband and I, ex husband, and I traveled um, Europe for like three months, and I remember like midway through the trip, we went to a hard rock cafe, which is a restaurant I would never go to in any city. In America. <laughs> never. And especially while traveling. Cause I am generally one of those people who, while I'm traveling, I want to eat all the local cuisines. Oh, yeah, I yeah, want it all yeah, authentic. Yeah. But I think we just had that moment of like, I just need things that are familiar. Yes. I want to look at a menu in my language. I want to, yeah. um, eat foods that I'm used to eating that are predictable, right. That I know yes. that if I order this, it's going to look a certain way. And yeah. it's like, it's not racist that we felt that way. It's just, yeah. we wanted some comfort and familiarity. And yeah. it's like, I don't know why white people have such a hard time understanding that black people want that, mm-hmm. want those spaces. Right. Yeah. Like that, and then it's not yeah. racist or exclusive. It's just a need. Yeah. yeah it's it, just a felt need. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't harm us in any way. <laughs> it's free. <laughs> yeah. Completely free. Usually. No one's taking anything from me. <laughs> By having a club that I can't be in. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, I, yeah, I really hope that one day, w- with the way things are going, with more information, that white people really start to understand that and yeah. even maybe even create those spaces. I mean, honestly, I think this yeah. is kind of part of what you're doing too, is like exposing people like, hey, we can have safer spaces. 
Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. And I hope people, I hope white people will push into trying to understand what whiteness is because I think it's really yeah. important. Yeah. I think without that understanding, we are just doing a lot of projecting and, yeah, you know, a lot yeah. of, of I just, just a lot of misunderstanding. And, and then to be able to give freedom to like, you know, okay, this is what my culture looks like. And then other people can have a different experience yes. or a different, you know, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I a different you. concept of family size or a different concept of time or a different concept of collectivism yeah. or a yeah. different concept of how many <clears throat> people live in a house, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all those kinds of I things. I remember a problematic moment for myself. I'll confess when I moved into the house I live in right now, it was 20 years ago. And I, I, I mean, this is embarrassing to admit, but there is a family across the street um, and they have probably, they have a grandma and then there's two children and then all of those, all of those women's adult children and probably 10 kids. And when we first moved in, I was like, how many people live in this house? Oh, like what? Oh my gosh. How many people are in this house? How many cars? How many kids? <laughs> yeah. And that was me. That was my whiteness projecting onto their culture because culturally it is completely normal for them to all yeah. still live together. And um, I've gotten to know that family over the years. They oh, all awesome. of those kids babysat my kids. I oh, adore so cool. this family and have and have since been invited, you know, to their parties and and I have moved from a state of judgment to actually a state of, I really envy the community yeah. and familial support that they have going on yes. in that house. Yes, I do I, too. <laughs> I envy it and I actually value it. And I, and I actually have changed to flipping from, wow, I don't know why, why white people don't like, why do we all move out and, yeah. and separate? And why are we not living with our extended family for that help and support? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing I've, I mean, my family situation is different, but I've, I've been jealous of other cultures who do that too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's so like, you guys almost function like sister wives and something. They do. Yeah. It's, I just feel like that was kind of a good idea. I mean, not all of it, but some. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Some things would be cool. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Would my life be easier with a sister wife? No, I know. Well, I want to talk to you also about being black and being female. Okay. Uh, Because I know, you know, that is its own unique thing. And you have talked some about how, you know, that intersectionality uh, is a very marginalized group. When you have, you know, black, when you have both of those minority things or both of those kind of oppressed um, status happening at the same time. I don't know if you remember this. <clears throat> do you remember? Oh, wait. Are, do, are we still good? Because you're kind of frozen a tiny bit. Oh, am I? Are we good? No, okay. it's all good from my uh, end. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. All right. Now we're good. So I don't know if you remember this, but I have been on a journey with feminism. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Do you remember when I wasn't a feminist? Yes, and I, I just, do. I didn't really understand. Yeah, I really did not understand it because... For the, at that point in my journey, I really only saw all my problems as black people problems. Mm-hmm. I just, and honestly, I really think part of that journey for me was part of being a part of racist America because my black mm-hmm. people problems were so much bigger mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. my, fe- my feminine being a woman. Yes. That, and I really didn't know how to merge them. So it was like, 
because I'm kind of a black and white thinker anyway, so I really have to force myself to like, what's the middle? What's the middle? Uh-huh. But like at that point, I just really thought black people's issues are so much bigger. Like I don't want to focus on women's stuff because then it's going to become a white woman problem. Mm-hmm. And again, this is the exposure thing. Like I just didn't have enough exposure at that point to like, what is intersectional? <laughs> and how can these things like, now I understand like how it really, really interweaves. Like I really mm-hmm. tr- don't believe a person can be anti-racist and not have feminist belief systems. You know, mm-hmm. womanist beliefs. Like, it's just all related. But back then, <laughs> I was struggling with the complexity of it for myself. Yeah. And I think getting in touch with the ways that I was being harmed as a woman really, mm-hmm. really helps me. And so now I kind of see. So now I feel like I suffer equally. <laughs> <laughs> so glad you came to that place. I know. It's great. But, um, but yeah, I think once I realized, like, there is – and part of that was just uh, – again, all of this has been exposure for me. Once I got yeah. more exposure to more – black women writers mm-hmm. and bloggers, then I really saw there are ways <clears throat> to address the unique issues of black women that d- is that still centers black women and doesn't. I just was so, honestly, I was just so afraid that white women were going to come in and take it over that I couldn't even allow it in my head. Like, mm. Yeah, I, I don't know. That I makes sense, though. Well, more. white women yeah. have, they have done that. I mean, in, <laughs> yeah, in I feminist just, circles, like that I'm, absolutely happened. It's funny because I'm I'm legit like really understanding this right in this moment right now. Huh. Like yeah, that's why I was thinking that way. <laughs> so yeah, but once I realized it, um, it had honestly it has been helpful for me. Even though I was making a joke, like now I understand how I suffer equally in both those demographics. But it really has helped me because I consider myself to be an advocate, and that's in any way that I can advocate for Black men women. I want to do yeah, and I really have had to learn what are the ways that black women are suffering across the board like black trans women black children you know just all of it like all of the intersections of black womanhood were were suffering in a very unique specific way and i think too for me so in my previous marriage i was in an abusive marriage i did not understand really really truly fully until i started entering into specific spaces for black women who've been abused in intimate Mm -hmm. partner relationships that was like Mm mind-blowing to me Mm -hmm. um And just opened me up to a world of pain that I didn't know that that women were gathering in that niche. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like that specific. And so, um, so yeah, it's been kind of (laughs) depressing, but at the same time, I'm like, no, this is what I really need to do. Like, this is Mm -hmm. my passion. And even when I was like, (sighs) yeah, when I was like 16, I had a guy, like a boyfriend, like push me down or something. Like he pushed me on the, on the driveway (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like such a drama queen. I said to him, <laughs> this is really funny now, but I said to him, if I, if I survive you, <laughs> that's all he ever did to me, by the way, was pushing me on the, on the driveway, which is significant. But I was yeah. like, if I survive you, I promise to God that I am going to, I'm going to advocate for black women for the rest of my life to make sure that we survive all the shit that we have to go through. <laughs> Something like that. And it's just was like this dramatic moment, but I do remember ha- having a feeling like I really want to advocate for black women. So it was yeah. like down there, like it's so, yeah. somewhere I got confused between 16 and 40, but like that happens. I really, yeah. Yeah. So now, now I'm really kind of leaning into that. I love that. And figuring out like, what can I do to kind of address this intersection of yeah. pain? Yeah. Especially from black men, because my abusive husband was black. And that, that was like a particularly heartbreaking thing for me. Like, mm-hmm. 
I don't know. If he had been something else, maybe it wouldn't hurt so bad. But I just felt like, dang, like we got to get it even from y'all, you know? <sighs> yeah, I mean, I just, I it was think, just really sad. <clears throat> I think that there is so much intergenerational trauma, obviously, I in know. the black community. Yeah. I mean, it's unavoidable. So and, and to think that, it, it couldn't or wouldn't be there when you when you look at history and even recent history. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I understand that his 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 trauma came from his abusive mother because mm-hmm. she was to him, and she she her her um yeah his mother's grandmother was not a free woman. So it's just like that close in his family. That close to that close to a a a, a pile. That's not even mm-hmm. an accurate word of trauma. Mm-hmm. And and physical violence. Yeah. So his yeah. physical violence came from his mother, which no doubt came from no doubt his, their grandmother who was a slave, yeah. which landed on me, and I was just like, right. this, this has landed on me. Right. How many years later? Over a hundred. Over a hundred. Uh huh. Yeah. Over a hundred. It, it just was like a mind blowing thing that. <sighs> I mean, obviously, I'm still processing, but like, yeah. It it. it it was hard. I'm sorry. I feel like I want to start crying. It was hard. It is hard. And, and I think, you know, for I, I just think it's so important for people to understand when they go, well, why are we still talking about slavery? Or why are we still talking about Jim Crow? That, yeah. that these structures are still, like, the damage yeah. from these structures are still being felt. Yeah. Yeah. And they're yeah. being felt by everyone. You know, they're, yeah. they're, the ripple effects... Are, are for everyone like yeah. we we should all want yeah healing yeah in, you know and 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 to understand how damaging yeah and, yeah and how the damage remains yeah yeah yep and I think about that a lot in terms of my daughter knowing yeah. she's 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 with him mm-hmm. and um I mean I have you know we share custody but but she's yeah. still with him yeah and um and I just, I want to be sure that she too is not traumatized by her black yeah. father, which I was also yeah. severely abused by my black father. And it just, it's like this, yeah. If I stop and think about it too long, I will start crying. <laughs> so I just stop, but it's, it's heavy. It's, it's really heavy. heavy when I start compiling. Yeah. It is really, it is really heavy. And I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to like go. <laughs> no, I mean, I think this is an important topic and you know, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's one that has hit my family as well because, yeah. you know, my oldest came to me through the foster care system, you mm-hmm. know, and he came to me through the foster care system of generations of foster care. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm sure when you look up that ladder, mm-hmm. yeah, it's racial trauma. And yeah, yeah, and, you know, and, no doubt. Yeah, and the, the, I'm not sure if this is okay to ask, but are 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 your children from co- like a colonized country? I'm assuming. So Jafta or? is from the Jafta is African American. He's from oh, the U.S. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. okay. And so he he came from the foster care system. Okay. His mother was in the foster care system as a child. His oh, grandmother wow. was in the foster care system as a child. Wow. And you know, and as you said, when you start going up to grandma. Mm-hmm. we're starting to look at a generation that was either not free or yeah. or incredibly oppressed, yeah. even if they were free. Right. And I 100% think that that is, that legacy is 
is a legacy is it, of it's in the dna yeah yeah for sure it's literally in our dna um, yeah i literally just wrote something about that the other day how i after my ex i had i had literally made a decision like i'm not going to date any more black men who are traumatized and i it was very it was like within three months i was like that's not gonna work like well because if I, you really believe that that we're still carrying it in our dna which is scientific it's not just mm-hmm. like this thing that black people are throwing out that trauma are, yeah is in our dna so i was just like yeah i think i'm gonna have to i just need to be way more careful <laughs> Well, I mean, so many people are walking around with trauma. I think the critical right. question is, have they done the yes. work? Face their trauma, done yes. the done the work, continued therapy, are yeah. willing to continue in therapy. Yeah. 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 Did they trigger you? You know, those kind of those are the questions I have very much looked into. Yeah. I, ha- I have to know now, yeah. like a hundred times more information than I knew going into mm-hmm. previous. Totally. Situation. Totally. So. Yeah. Well, and to answer your other your other question, yeah, Kembe is from Haiti, which is okay, absolute. Yeah. I mean, so much, so, so much, trauma. much trauma, and yeah. you know, and oppression yeah. and exploitation by the French, and yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, I just I feel hopeful because I'm like they're going to get such a different legacy with you, you know. I I hope so. I mean, yeah, me too. It makes me cry just thinking about. No, <laughs> like it just makes me feel really hopeful. Yeah, I for hope them, so. You know, and for my kids too, like having yeah. someone to be able to guide them through. Yeah, the trauma. I'm <laughs> Sorry, Kristen. I didn't expect to like go no, all with okay. but but this is important. I, I mean, actually, yeah. I feel like if I think this may be the most important thing for people to understand about race. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm a yeah, therapist. and how much I black mean, people feel is, ownership? Yeah, <laughs> of each other. Yes. Yeah. Like me even oh, gosh, feeling yeah. little, this teeny, tiny, tiny, tiny amount of ownership for your kids, even yeah. though I've literally never crossed their path, but I've known them through your writing for all these years. But so I, I feel and like I love, concerned for them. I, I <laughs> love know? that because I will tell you, I mean, my black friends, both the ones that know them and don't mm-hmm. do, do have a lot of yeah, mama the bear. Auntie, the auntie yes. feeling. Yeah. And yeah. I love that. I I love that. And I'm grateful for it. Yeah. Yeah. I have that too with writer friends. It's the writer people. I don't know what it is about the writer people. (laughs) I'm your kid's auntie and that's just it. Totally. It's so true. (laughs) It's so true. Okay. I want to ask you, because we have this shared experience too of white presenting kids, black presenting kids. yeah. Yeah. And I know your daughter's younger, but like, have you noted a difference in the way the world responds to your kids. Mm. I, yeah, I do. I, I, I know. Yes. I notice it in me in ways that I don't even, I didn't even recognize. So I'll give you a really example. That's something that surprised me Mm. is um, we were, we were in a situation where the cops were around. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like, um, it wasn't like we were, I felt like danger from the cops or anything. Yeah. But I literally told my son, Reese, like, you get out of the car first. And it was kind of like, one of those, I was, what am I thinking? But it was kind of like, he's the whitest, per- whitest looking person in this car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just thought, like, as soon yeah. as the caps see a white looking person, they're automatically yeah. going to, my thought was, be more calm and disarmed than if my, my partner who is black got out of the car, like a black adult male. Mm-hmm. Or even me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was just this weird thing. And then I thought, like, what am I trying to, like, sacrifice myself? <laughs> but it really wasn't that because I didn't feel, like, danger. But it was, like, no. this idea of, like, I have seen, yes, I have seen 
instances where my white presenting student, who is 11, yeah, makes people feel better about our scenario. It's mm-hmm. weird. I can't even really explain it. I know some people might be like, is she just imagining things? But I promise you, I'm I not. know you're not. <laughs> I know you're not. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's probably going to become more clear as, as my mm-hmm. daughter gets older how th- she's treated differently. Mm-hmm. I've wondered in daycare a few times, but it's just, it's, it's, it feels like such a stretch. So I would never say anything, but there's times I've thought, like, is she getting as good a treatment, you know? Because mm-hmm. she's generally a minority in her daycare environments. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I can't say, like, that I've seen overt things, yeah. but um, I mean, there was, a, there was a one time I wrote about this a while ago where at, a, at, at, at an airport, um, they, um, the, when um, I basically, uh, Kristen, I, I don't know what I was thinking, but I took my son out of the country without a passport. I, it was the most American thing I've ever done. Like, I just was like, <laughs> oh, we can go anywhere in the world. I took him out of the country without a passport. He was like six months old. He was eight months old, ransom, when I just had my older son. And when we went to leave, they were like, whose child is this? They didn't believe me that it was oh, mine. No. And, and they were like, where's his passport? Where's his birth certificate? And I was like, well, y'all let me out. So I just assumed y'all right. would let me back in. So they were like, well, no, you have to leave him here. And I was like, I'm not leaving him anywhere. I'm I'm not leaving. Like, I will stay here in the airport. I'm not leaving him. Like, he was Uh, my only son and eight months old. I'm like, I am not leaving him. And so they were like, well, well, you just have to come back to this facility and you got to get fingerprinted and all this stuff like like I stole him. And I was it was one of those things. I was like, I don't know if this is because of race issues or not, but the way that it got handled was yeah. because honestly I truly believe it because I had a white husband who mm. came in and was like who who had literally had to come to the country I mean legit it was in Canada mm-hmm. so it wasn't that far but like had to resolve it as a white man you know he didn't even bring the freaking passport well actually we didn't have one that's the truth he didn't right. have a passport yeah well <laughs> he not didn't many people have one for because that is my white ex-husband yeah. is that predictable like, he went to go rescue his wife and son and forgot the birth certificate. forgot the birth certificate. <laughs> but because he's a white man, it got handled. Yeah. And that was the first time that I saw, like, the sway. Like, we're talking about an international debacle. Yeah. Being arrested and fingerprinted and interviewed. and Yeah. And then he just came in like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, look at that. <laughs> I, look I, at that. I totally believe that. I mean, I have had so many experiences of flying back from from a flight where I was one of the few white people, right. From another country and just being like, Oh, you're fine. Oh, you know, where everyone else is getting searched. Everyone else is going, you know, being questioned and just like, Oh, go ahead. White lady. That's a thing. Yeah. That doesn't happen to me. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. (laughs) That doesn't happen to me. It's, it's, I have wondered like, cause I do, I do recognize that I have, really truly honestly believe that there's colorism and that I have oh, yeah. a lot of privileges as a light skinned person. Yeah. Um and sometimes and sometimes even I think as a racially ambiguous person. Mm-hmm. But not white people not white women privilege. Not that <laughs> that's where the that's where the, the line draws. <laughs> like sometimes I'm like, oh yeah I can get just away with just stuff. At the, just look at like, oh no, you one. are not a white woman, so you're not getting that much privilege. Like you're getting some, but not that much. <laughs> Yeah. But I, I, I do feel like there are ways where I've seen my ex-husband, who was white, and my sons get away with stuff that I'm like, there is no way, no way yeah. if they were black, that kind of stuff would have happened. I a thousand percent believe that, which is why I really do think yeah. it is important for white people whenever there are instances of black people and you're observing them interacting with police to to just mm. be present, like be a yes, presence, ask present. questions as a white person, yeah. because you know, as a white person, you can get mouthy with a cop. 
Yeah. And yeah, most likely walk away. Mm-hmm. So no, I do exactly. think it's imperative exactly. for white people to to be present and just say, "Hey, what's what's going yeah. on? Hey, what's yeah. what are you doing?" Do you know- do you know, Kristen, that I think that's true of me? This is going to be cra- sound crazy to you. Maybe not to you, but maybe to other people. That I that happened to me two weeks ago with darker-skinned people. So yeah. there was like a darker-skinned black woman yes. and her boyfriend slash husband, whatever, fighting with the waiter outside. I actually started filming it because I knew the cops because I heard the waiter say, I'm calling the cops. So I started filming it right away. Mm-hmm. So the cops came, and the, 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 the black woman who was angry at the waiter started yelling mm-hmm. just screaming at the cop and so mm-hmm. i'm filming it i'm like oh god so i was like if i go over there i bet you five dollars and 55 cents that my light skinness will calm him down like mm-hmm. oh look here's another black person who's not yelling who's light skin mm-hmm. i swear to goodness i went over there and he was like are you involved here and i was like actually i'm just here to film <laughs> and he started asking me questions what happened he stopped talking to her and started talking to me oh you were the trustworthy person yeah, in the situation i became the mm-hmm. my light skinness i believe yeah. made me the more trustworthy black person in that scenario i mean i yeah. was i came over there calm but i was also filming and i've yeah. seen we've seen what happens to some black people when they're filming yeah he didn't speak to me in any kind of way. He just was like, what happened? He was asking me for the details. I was not in the restaurant, so I don't know what happened in the restaurant. Yeah. All I know is what happened when they came out. I was just w- waiting in the car for my partner to grab our, our to-go order. Yeah. I was literally no one that had anything to do with the scenario. And he still <laughs> asked me what happened. What did he say? What did she say? What did he do? What did she do? And I was just like, and the lady was looking at me like, ain't this about a B? Like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And I don't know if she had that same thought, but I was like, well, I kind of, I came out here because I wanted him to know, like, there's another black person watching you. You're also being filmed. Mm -hmm. Like, I could see that she's escalating and I don't want it to escalate more. Mm -hmm. But I I knew that, yeah, I knew that that was going to happen. I think white people don't understand how much black people, like, can read situations with white Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. and know how to accurately de-escalate white people, I think, more than we're we're given credit for oh if we choose to i think you're absolutely right i mean i think yeah because you're able to kind of step back and look at the patterns of behavior yeah and i know that white people trust me more than they trust darker people especially in conflict scenarios especially if i'm willing to code switch and like come in with my standard midwestern dialogue like excuse me officer what's going on here i'm concerned you know and that's happened a few times because I work in a library, so we get experience a lot of crazy stuff. <laughs> so I have had to de-escalate patrons library and library drama. Who would have thought? Drama. I know. I work in a downtown branch, so a- around a lot of, um, of uh, vulnerable populations. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So we get a lot yeah. of drama. You more than you. Yeah, no, that makes security sense guard to me. said there's like we get more drama than he got at the public library in downtown Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I was like, wow. But yeah, I've seen it happen several times where mm-hmm. everybody's looking to me. Like mm-hmm. the white people are looking to me and the mm-hmm. black people are like, well, you're going to be calm. I'm not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe because I work there. but Well, I think that light skin privilege is <laughs> totally a thing. And then I think there yeah. is also bias that is projected on black people about like when they're angry, they're really angry. Yes. You know, that trope of the angry black woman yes. where we see yeah. white women acting out all the time. I mean, just Karen's now more than everywhere. ever, right? These right? videos, but there's still this sort of trope of like black women going off or black women, you know, mm-hmm. being angry, yeah. being more angry, and yeah, and they're yeah, I, yeah, yeah, that's the yeah. thing. Yeah, 
I, if I hadn't grown up in white schools, I probably would not know how to do all the switching that I know how to do. Mm-hmm. Cause I noticed that with the black kids I grew up with who were going to the public schools, mm-hmm. they didn't know how to, they did in a sun, in a sense, they didn't mm-hmm. know how to function in white worlds once they got out of the, the, mm-hmm. the hood. Mm-hmm. But because I went to the white schools, I kind of knew how to do the switching, the code switching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that has actually really come in handy in terms of de-escalating angry or scared white people, mm-hmm. which I hate that I have feel like that's my job. But sometimes I feel like it just comes in handy. Like yeah. regardless, well, it's a skill. It's a skill. It's just a life skill I picked up and yeah. I don't mind doing it, especially at the library because they're all vulnerable populations. But in that scenario, I was just like, this is real trifle. I wanted to say to him, like, do you understand what's happening right now? Why? Are, why? Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask him, but I was like, I don't really want the drama. Yeah. <laughs> but I really wanted to point out his colorism. Like this is ridiculous. Yeah. I think that that colorism is a very hard one for, I mean, I think white people have a lot of denial systems around racism, but the colorism one is one that they're just not willing to look at. It's like next level. It really is. It's next level. It's next level. Yeah. Yeah, It's like matrix level. It's so hidden. Uh It's so hidden. It is. I don't even think I'm asking white people at this point to understand that. I may have given up. <laughs> like, let's just get, let's just get to the basics. 101. <laughs> and this is a 201 conversation you're not ready for. <laughs> yeah, because honestly, sometimes black people argue about this, about whether or not this is a thing. And Yeah. You know, so we're still figuring out in community. So I feel like. Well, and I mean, white people, people. I, I, I mean, don't even get me started. Like, do you know how many times I've been asked <laughs> if my two boys are twins? They are completely different colors. And, and heights, from, right? And, yeah. And everything. Like, Kembe looks so clearly Caribbean, and he's very dark-skinned. Jafta looks yeah. very African-American. Yeah. Their, their faces bodies, are different. different yeah. Everything's different. Their bodies are super different. And people will be like, are they twins? I'm like, <laughs> have you never been around black people? Like, do you not understand that just because two people are black <laughs> doesn't mean they look like they... Uh. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Yes, it was fun. I really appreciate it. And I've just, I've always, I, I mean, you know, I followed you on social forever and I just always appreciate your perspective and your voice and your writing. Yes, same, same, same. Thank you. Where can people find you online? So I am gra- at Grace underscore Sandra underscore. Mm-hmm. I think I'll just about everywhere. Um, yep. Grace Sandra on Facebook and graceactually.com. Oh, and I have a book on Amazon called Grace Actually. Yes. I will link that, that up. Yes, thank that you. That I have done a horrible job marketing because I self-published it. And that means, did you know that when you self-publish a book, you do your all your own marketing? <laughs> just did you know like, when you publish with a big publisher, you kind of do your own too? <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. yeah, but they probably tell you to do stuff, right? Like, yeah, hey, can you do yes. this? Can you do that? Yeah. Yeah, I just didn't think it's about hard. it. Like, oh, here's yeah. this book. and. Yeah. Okay, y'all just go get it. And people are like, you have to actually keep talking about it. And I'm like, okay. Well, okay, talk about it. Market it right here. Tell us what it's about. (laughs) Okay, so Grace actually is a compilation of kind of the blog posts that people have loved the most for Mm -hmm. me in the last 10 years, probably, or whenever I started blogging. And then a few additional things that I wrote while I was going through the abuse of marriage, but I didn't Mm -hmm. feel comfortable sharing. Yeah. So it's really, it's kind of memoirish, but it's not... um, it's compiled by uh, by topic. So there's like five or six mm-hmm. chapters on faith, five or six chapters on love, five or six chapters on loss, and then a few chapters on like race and mm-hmm. race issues. So it's not really connected. I wrote it. I, I compiled it in a way where people wouldn't know when stuff happened. Mm-hmm. 
and with who. Um, yeah. I'm not really sure what my thinking was, but I just felt like one day I really do want to do a memoir that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> like chronological. Well, a linear, me- yeah, a linear yes, memoir. Yes, I want to do yeah. a linear memoir. So for this, I was just like, it's really just a compilation of things I've written and partly because everybody was like, why, why do you just not work on a book? Like, why have you just said you're going to work on a book and never put something out? And I was like, I want to, but I just keep like making my life fall apart. And so... <laughs> I just can't get my shit together enough to do it. And so I finally was just like, I'm just going to self-publish something because I want to be able to tell people I'm going to do a book. I promise you I'm going to, I'm going to pursue all the stuff an agent and contract, all that. But for right now, this is all I have to give you. I will give you something. (laughs) And this is all I literally can pull out of my booty hole right now. (laughs) Which gives you an indication of kind of how I write very raw. (laughs) Absolutely. You do. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, so people can go find Grace. So they can find that. Yeah. On Amazon. Just on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Awesome. There's hardcover or hard, not hardcover. I'm sorry. Hard copy and Kindle copy. And awesome. Yeah. I'm probably the most active on Instagram. Awesome. So thank you, friend. Thank you so much. This was fun. Hey, thank you for joining us. Continue the self-care conversation with us on Instagram at at Selfie Podcast and in the Selfie Podcast community group on Facebook. You can also visit our website to check out the resources we've talked about in each episode at selfiepodcast.com. Make sure to subscribe to Selfie on iTunes so you can catch up with us next week. Take care. Take care.